This is a Federal News Network podcast. One defense cybersecurity initiative from the Trump era is gaining steam in the Biden. That would be CMMC, the Cybersecurity Model Maturity Certification Program. In a program with many moving parts, all aimed at making sure defense contractors can be trusted with controlled, unclassified information. Two cybersecurity companies in that CMMC ecosystem found in a survey earlier this year that the program will be costly and difficult for contractors. Here with more, Aptiga's Vice President of Marketing, Scott McLeod. Scott, good to have you on. Thank you, Tom. And Thad Wellen is the Director of Consulting at SecureStrux. Thad, good to have you on. Good morning, Tom. How are we doing? Okay. So this survey found that it's kind of like uh, prostate health. Everybody wants it, but nobody wants to have the tests uh, to go through what it takes to get there. So give us the highlights from what you found from, what, about 150 companies? Sure, Tom. So to start, we found that over 80% of the contractors and subcontractors told us that CMMC is an important initiative to protect sensitive information in the DOD supply chain. And in fact, none of the participants indicated that it was not important. I think we're very happy to see that there's large or broad scale agreement that this is an important and necessary initiative. All right. But that's where the buts begin. That's exactly right. In conjunction with that, almost a third of the participants also indicated that while they feel like it's important, that it will include unnecessary burdens and costs upon their organizations. And those costs would be what? In the obtaining of certification from a third-party assessor or the investments they might have to make in basic cyber? Thad? Yeah. So that's actually a combination of both. There is the investment that they need to make to be able to meet all the controls for whatever level of CMMC they're going to require. And then there is kind of an unknown cost right now, what the cost will be to actually get the audit completed. The other huge challenge that CMMC imposes, it's it's an all or none type of certification. So you either meet every single aspect of that level of certification, the levels one through five. And if you don't meet every component of that, you don't have every control that the auditor agrees is compliant, then you don't achieve that certification. That's one of the huge challenges is CMMC does not allow a plan of action, a milestone for controls that aren't completely met yet. It's almost like hanging the shingle as a CPA. You've got to do all segments of the tests. You can't have like a four and a half, basically, then. Correct. 99.9% is not good enough. And that's one of the challenges that CMMC is and, and will impose and is unlike a lot of the other type of certifications, such as the risk management framework that is used for the federal government and for the DOD to manage their own networks. They do allow POAMs because they have what's called an authorizing official that manages risk. And it says, okay, we accept the risk for this. We allow a POAM, and there's an actionable plan to be able to become compliant, but we're still going to award the ability to operate while that POAM action is happening. And that's one of the huge challenges that CMMC will impose and contractors will feel that pain. We're speaking with Thad Wellen. He's director of consulting at SecureStrux and with Scott McLeod, vice president of marketing at Aptiga. And do you get the sense that at this point, 
I mean, there is a reference point here, and that is NIST 800-171, special publication that spells out the controls. Do you get the sense that even before all of this apparatus is up and running, that companies are starting to compare their cybersecurity practices against what's in 800-171 and starting to fill those gaps ahead of time? Yes, absolutely. And and the, one of the, the things that's the huge difference between NIST 800-171 and let's just say CMMC Level 3, because they're basically apples to apples comparison as far as controls. So all 110 controls that are in NIST 800-171 are included in CMMC Level 3, plus 20 additional CMMC-specific controls. The biggest issue isn't the fact that all the controls are met for 171. It's the fact that CMMC is a maturity model. So maturity in your processes is a big part of achieving CMMC Level 3 versus being compliant with 800-171. And the simple fact is, is 800-171 compliance does allow POAMs. Got it. And just spell that out for us. Uh, plan of action and milestones. Okay. And Scott, a question for you is, do you sense that companies anticipating this have faith that regardless of the assessor that comes in to certify them, that they'll get even-handed treatment and the assessors in effect will be plain vanilla? It won't matter who you get with respect to how ready you are to passing. I think the process that's uh, taking place right now with the CMMC Advisory Board is expected to keep that playing field level, do what they can to maintain consistency from one assessor to the next. But, you know, even if the playing field is a little bit unlevel there, you know, we're seeing some other really interesting takeaways from the study related to that. One in particular is that, you know, assessments are not being done right now. They haven't gotten that far in the process. But organizations that are being proactive and getting aligned to CMMC now, even though it may be some time before they're officially assessed. In the study, we saw that almost 50% of the organizations that participated indicated that they expect to see business growth opportunities coming from this. Even though they feel like it's going to impose undue burdens and costs, there will be some opportunities created. And in fact, both that and I have had interaction with DOD contractors and subs that have told us. In one case, I was speaking with a subcontractor about a week ago, indicated that they have already signed new contracts with some of the larger primes. And they believe that it's in part because they were able to show them evidence of what they've already done to become CMMC compliant. And a follow-up to that is the perception that this will result in better business opportunities. Does that perception go across large and small businesses and primes and subs? Thad? Yes, absolutely. We have had organizations that are clients of ours that have indicated that they have definitely seen a difference in the way that they interact with their primes. And the bottom line is when CMMC becomes a reality and the new DFARS clauses 252, 204, 7019, 7020, and 7021 are imposed and they do have CMMC requirements, in order to be awarded that contract or in order for a sub to be part of that contract, they have to have the CMMC certification. So primes right now are making sure that their supply chain, their subcontractors that they work with on a, on a day-to-day basis on a lot of their contracts, they're making sure that they are sending out checklists, they're validating that their subs 
are in line with 800-171. They have a score in what's called uh, SPRS, which is the government repository for where CMMC certifications are stored and what is required right now to self-attest against 800-171. Contractors are making sure that their subs are aligned with that because when it comes time to be awarded the new contract that has CMMC requirements, that their supply chain is going to be available to perform on those contracts. Thad Wellen is Director of Consulting at SecureStrux. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. And Scott McLeod is Vice President of Marketing at Aptiga. Thank you as well. Thank you very much, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to their study at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be, uh, uh, to to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a little school. 
And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there have been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values, but the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? 
Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, at the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.